0: You are assuming that if you do say something, that it will be held against you, that it will be seen as a weakness, that you can't cope with the job because you have anxiety. It means that this toxic environment that the industry has created just continues and continues because there's this wall of silence between individuals and companies.
1: From Soho Media Club, this is Naked Stories. A series taking you into the inner world of the media industry, where prejudice and glass ceilings are laid bare. Stories that are hard to tell out in the open, but have the power to change the future. Produced by PRL Studio, I'm Roses Okipo. Welcome to Episode 7, Hotel California. If you're feeling the pinch of other people's priorities, my advice is to jump ship. Find fellow travellers with the same curiosities as you. Don't stay where you're feeling blocked. Tilda Swinton Today we meet Lotus, a VFX producer turned mental health trainer. Having been through anxiety and depression since childhood and during her time working in the TV and film industry, she now helps others. Lotus has seen mental health from both sides of the coin. Here is her story. Parents try to infuse confidence in their children and make them more comfortable and confident in every situation. But Lotus was painfully shy. Even when her mum was by her side, encouraging her to do things that other kids were doing, she felt so self-conscious.
0: I would say as a child, I was quite anxious. Very, very shy. My mum told me a story the other day of when I was in reception, you know, at the end of your year at reception, you would normally give your teacher a present. And I was so shy that I felt so embarrassed about giving my teacher a present that I didn't do it. So when I went outside to see my mum and for my mum to take me home, she was like, she looked in my bag and she said, you didn't give your teacher the present. So then she dragged me back into the classroom to give the teacher this present, but I just felt so self-conscious and so embarrassed about any sense of attention being on me. And I think that came a lot from, from anxiety. And so I think I've always had that as part of
1: me. Often, traumatic life events are the biggest cause of anxiety. But for Lotus, this wasn't the case. There was no big drama. She came from a strict but stable home with nice parents think I
0: was just innately very shy. So, yeah, so I'd I'd say as, as a child, I was quite shy and quite anxious, but without any sense of trauma or reason for that, really. I would essentially become mute. and just wouldn't speak. I wouldn't put my hand up in class. You know, all the classic hallmarks of being a shy child, basically.
1: Sometimes, parents labelling their children as shy to excuse behaviour that they may find embarrassing or bad etiquette, like refusing to greet adults, may do more harm than good. Looking back, Lotus can see that this was more than shyness. It was social anxiety. But those were the days when people just thought that's just the way she is.
0: I don't think or the kind of adults around me really did anything about it that I remember. I don't think anyone recognised it as anxiety. Like no one really, when I was a kid growing up, no one spoke about mental health issues or anything like that. It was just kind of accepted that I was just a shy child. And that was just part of who I was. I don't remember any adult kind of particularly acting in a certain way to try and encourage me out of it. It was just accepted that that was how I was there was never a huge amount of room at home for me to express what I felt there weren't conversations around your feelings or emotions
1: during her teen years Lotus tried to battle her poor social skills by reading self-help books and although this expanded her knowledge the anxiety monster was taking over her life a lot of us have experienced this monster though really it has no teeth and no real power to control unless you fuel it And give it power. As the saying goes our anxiety does not come from thinking about the future but from wanting to control it.
0: I chose my GCSEs based on ones that didn't involve presentations so I was really good and really enjoyed geography but the geography GCSE involved having to do a five-minute presentation. So I deliberately didn't choose that one because of the presentation involved. And equally, I really love cooking, I really love food, but I chose not to do the food technology because it involved doing a 45-minute practical, which felt too pressured for me. My anxiety and my shyness
1: really dictated an awful lot. Lotus now recognises that from the age of 15, depression had set in and she describes the feeling of being trapped.
0: I remember just feeling really sad all the time. I think I was just in quite a bad place um, at that period in time. I think it was probably, looking back now, my first episode of depression. I was really low. I'd cry myself to sleep at night. I had really low self-worth. So at that point, I think I was almost too low to help myself. But I think all of that reading that I did was a really great foundation for me when it came to going to college, when it came to going to university and having to meet new people. Although that stuff wasn't stuff I was able to really harness at that immediate point in time, that information just sits somewhere in your brain and you know what you need to do. But sometimes it's really hard to do it when you're feeling that low. A really overwhelming sadness. And not feeling good enough. Never feeling good enough for anyone else. Yeah, feeling quite hopeless. Not really seeing or feeling much positivity towards your current state. Feeling like your current state is going to be how you feel forever. It can feel really endless. So yeah, hopeless, endless. And like there's not really a light at the end of the tunnel.
1: Sadly it is very common for teenagers to feel this way and it is often dismissed as teenage moodiness. Many parents have difficulty detecting depression in teens because it can look very different from depression in adults. 75% of mental
0: illnesses start when we're under 18. It's really important that we're all educated to recognise it. And our children are are taught to recognise signs and symptoms because it starts young and the impact of it can be lifelong. So if we're not tackling it and building tools for mental fitness for teenagers and for young people, if we're not taught how to manage our mental health right from the get-go, the same way that we're taught... To have five fruit and veg a day, that we're taught to exercise three times a week. We need to be taught how to look after our mental fitness as well, because once we have those tools, if we have healthy tools for coping with stress, with anxiety, with depression, with sad events that happen to us, if we have a way of coping, then It's not to say that we're not going to feel those things, of course we're going to feel those things, but we will be able to prevent that spiralling down that happens when that stress turns into anxiety, when that sadness turns into
1: depression. But a small fire within her had already started to fight against it. She knew it wasn't going to be a quick fix, but sometimes the smallest step in the right direction ends up being a huge leap.
0: A couple of the things that I did to challenge it other than reading self-help books was I went to college rather than my school sixth form. And that was quite a good transition step to take before going on to university because it meant I had to, I, I didn't, it was much bigger than my sixth form would have been. So I had to interact with new people. I had to make new friends. I had to really push out of my comfort zone. And it was, yeah, it was a scary thing to do. I never really felt like I found my place really at college. And then I went to university and the first term at university was really hard for me. I did TV production um, as a course. And I looked around on the first day, and it was a small course, so it was 50 people, but the people in it just all seemed so confident. And when you just look around and you're just, you just feel like, I don't feel like any of you. A lot of them to me seemed like they'd come from quite a drama driven background. So they all seemed to have, especially the girls, there seemed to be quite a few people initially who seemed to have that charisma and that confidence with standing up and talking that I just didn't have. And I, I really doubted myself in that first term. And it wasn't until the second term when I started to kind of find my tribe of people that I started to kind of feel like I was settling in a bit more. And not everyone was like that. There were definitely people who were also more introverted in their nature but at least initially all you see is other people who are different to you and who um, seem to have the skills and the confidence that you feel like you're lacking so for me initially that was a really tough transition but one that I think was essential for me to grow I think if I hadn't have gone to university I would have really struggled with my confidence going straight into a job in tv
1: It's not what you are that's holding you back. It's what you think you are. Lotus's self-esteem was so damn low that pushing herself out of her comfort zone felt near impossible. But it's these hard journeys that help you grow the most. Actually, I think it's really important that we get used to feeling
0: uncomfortable because that's part of life. And that's where we're challenging ourselves. Um, And I think I spent most of my young life and my teenage life just feeling comfortable uh, and creating a life where I felt as comfortable as possible. And it wasn't until my later teens and early 20s that I started to challenge that. Having that freedom at university for me helped me to gain that independence back or gain that independence for the first time. And that was really empowering for me and essential for me to be able to feel like I had some control over my life. I think a lot of what I was feeling when I was about 15 was feeling very much out of control of my life.
1: It was at the age of 25 when Lotus had her second bout of depression. When we hear depression, we always think about the struggles in the mind and body fatigue. However, Physical depression is something we don't generally hear about. What are the physical manifestations of depression? For Lotus, the first signs were starting to lose her grip and having way too many Zs. I mean, she turned into a real life sleeping buttes.
0: We'd bought a flat, we'd moved in, and I kept dropping things. And my husband just said that I was being clumsy. <laughs> Which, you know, I am a bit clumsy too. But I definitely felt like it wasn't just me being clumsy, it was that my grip was off.
1: Too much beauty sleep had Lotus tossing and turning her mind to figure out what the fuck was going on.
0: Initially went to the doctors with extreme fatigue, so I was falling asleep at kind of 8pm at night. And I love my sleep. So I was just like, oh, it's cool, I'm just sleepy, you know, it's fine. And it wasn't until my husband was like, no, you should really shouldn't be falling asleep at 8pm at night. That I was like, OK, well, I'll go to the doctor then if you think I should.
1: She went to the doctor with extreme fatigue and was prescribed a box of vitamin D supplements.
0: I was still feeling the symptoms. And for me, it was real physical weakness. My tests was my grip. So my my muscles were so weak that I couldn't barely close my fist most of the days, let alone kind of squeeze anything. So even practical things like opening a water bottle would be a challenge for me because I just, that grip was just not there. I'd have random muscle pains. I'd feel quite foggy in my head and, and exhausted. Uh, and I couldn't concentrate at work. So they sent me for all sorts of tests. I had random tests where they'd kind of test my nerves in my arms by sending little electric shocks through them to see if I'd kind of react to that. Uh, I went for scans, I went for all sorts of tests and it all came back clear. So they said to me that they thought it was chronic fatigue
1: syndrome. Never take your loved ones for granted. Lotus's husband was a pillar of support Shout out to him and those who are supporting people with mental health issues. She does, however, understand that it could have been a completely different story if he didn't stand by her side.
0: And My husband really encouraged me to start exercising. And for me, I was like, how can I do that? I'm exhausted all the time. I can barely get through a day at work. Some days I couldn't even get out of bed So I'm like, if I start exercising and from what I was researching about chronic fatigue, exercising can really kind of have the opposite effect if it's not done properly. So I was really resistant, really afraid to start exercising. But he was like, no, come on, like, just give it a go. Like, you can't feel much worse than you do now so why don't you try it so i started doing the couch to 5k and really slowly over a period it took me longer than it would normally um so i think it's like a 12-week program where it takes you from literally doing zero exercise to running 5k it took me longer at certain points to kind of build up that stamina but within three months I was running 5k and for me to have gone from not being able to walk up the stairs when I get home at night some days not being able to stand in the shower to being able to run 5k was like a real a real turning point for me You know, I feel lucky that I had him at a point in my life when I was really struggling and lots of people don't have that. And I think that's where the real darkness can lurk, is when you don't have someone having your back.
1: Lotus went through many tests trying to get to the bottom of her illness.
0: If someone with any education around mental health had have had a 10-minute conversation with me, I think very quickly they would have realised that there was more going on with me than the physical. And unfortunately, GPs are rushed, and I don't think they are trained well enough, a lot of them, unless they have an interest in it, in mental health. And mental health issues so it's a re- it's a real shame i think because if i'd have had it recognized sooner for what it was i wouldn't have gone through unnecessary tests wouldn't have cost the nhs so much money and i'd have got more appropriate help sooner and i think there is a real fear with going to the doctor about mental health issues that you will like my friends say just go on anti-anxiety medications, just go on antidepressants. And that wasn't something I wanted to do. I wanted to find a more holistic way of approaching recovery, if that was something that I was going through.
1: When you feel so alone, talking about how you feel is scary, and you can so often be misunderstood.
0: I think for a lot of people with depression, there's nothing to show, and that's really hard because you're having to try and explain and I remember trying to explain to friends how I was feeling and they just didn't get it or they'd be like oh you should just go on anti-anxiety medication and it's like if that is what this is I don't want to do that and that's really tough to kind of feel like people in your life aren't getting it and that's that could make you feel more alienated from people than anything else I think. There's another layer of isolation when you try and explain it to people and they still don't seem to understand or they're trying to tell you what to do, which doesn't fit with how you feel or what you feel like
1: you need to do. It is an act of immense courage for someone with depression to reach out for help.
0: You're admitting you need help with something, and that's really tough when you're used to hiding how you're feeling and feeling like you have to have it all together all the time, both professionally and personally.
1: We need to lift the lid on anxiety and depression.
0: It wasn't until I did my own training to become a mental health first aid trainer that I actually looked back and recognised what I had gone through both as a teenager and as an adult. We have to start educating ourselves because without that education we're putting ourselves and those around us at risk because none of us know how to act or what to act on. You know, I just dismissed what I was going through as, oh, I'm just tired more than usual. It's just, you know, winter tiredness. When actually there's a lot more going on. And because I didn't recognise it in myself, I didn't know how to communicate what was going on internally for me. All I could go to the doctors with were the physical signs. So that's all they had to work on, which led to me getting inappropriate tests and inappropriate support. So it's really important that we educate ourselves.
1: The transition into TV was smooth. After uni, Lotus planned to go travelling for a year. But as luck would have it, She got a six-month rolling contract at the BBC through a friend and started to pursue her dream of working in children's animation.
0: I went to the interview at the BBC. They basically offered me the job um, pretty much there and then. So within a couple of weeks of graduating, I'd moved into London, into a flat. I was on my way to the point where I was emailing friends being like, hey, when are you all coming to London? (laughs) Being the person that was initially not going to be in London. Um, When you graduate, um, you have all these wonderful shiny dreams of what life is going to be like, and working for the BBC was a dream come true. I'd wanted to do this job working in children's TV since I was a teenager, so... For that to become a reality, to be working with people who'd made some of my favourite shows as a kid growing up, you know, the the privilege that came with that was huge. When I had my one and only probation review in the industry and I said that I really wanted to continue being in children's, it's where I'd always wanted to be, how do I keep moving up? Because the BBC, because Children's BBC was moving up to Manchester, my line manager at the time said to me, my advice to you is to just get out of Children's. Which, when you are someone who is new to the industry, really ambitious, and had your heart set on being in a certain sector, was really disheartening to hear that. So I never, I didn't feel like I had that support to grow, really, at CBBC. There wasn't that element of support and nurturing that I was looking for and that I realised actually wasn't really anywhere in the industry. But particularly when you've got your first
1: job. Lotus's luck continued as she moved on to another fantastic job. It was a small production team of eight in animation.
0: They would give me opportunities to do more creative things, which was what I really had my heart set on doing. I really wanted to work more in development and I did largely production work, but they were very open about me having opportunities on the development side of things as well. And yeah, it was, it was a really supportive environment.
1: And this is where she came across the best boss she'd ever worked with
0: he was someone who led the company that he owned with compassion and care and with real heart he would often describe it as the hotel california of the animation industry because People would just want to come back. So if you worked on a production with this person, you would just want to come back because he, he would talk to you about what was going on with the company. He would involve you in the decision making of the company. If you had an ill parent or grandparent, he would just say, do what you need to do. Don't worry about work. We'll look after it. And he was someone that cared about you. I think that was the thing that shone through more than anything. He was a person who cared about you as a human being. He didn't just see you as someone to do a job. He wanted people to be happy at work, and that came through in what he was doing.
1: Such a lovely place. (laughs) Plenty of room at the Hotel California. Over the next 10 years, Lotus did end up going back. At the beginning of
0: my episode of depression in my mid-twenties, I was at the company where I was really well supported, but I had just accepted a job in a new company because it was a really big step up for me and a step up that I wanted and a step up that I couldn't have at the company that I was currently at. So they weren't in a position to be able to kind of support me through that period of time. However... When I came to the end of my contract at the new company, I was in touch with the old company and they they offered for me to go back four days a week. So when I was in my journey of recovery from my episode of depression, they let me work part time. They asked me what I needed, which was really helpful. If there were days when I wasn't feeling well and I needed to work from home, I knew that that was an option. And I think the biggest thing for me was that I knew they knew me when I was well. So I knew they knew I was good at my job. Because I think a lot of that self-doubt and insecurity creeps in when you're managing mental ill health. And you really doubt your abilities. And you're really worried about what other people think about you.
1: Why is it important that people care?
0: You know, someone just doing a job, then you're motivated. I don't think you get the same out of people. I think you get out of people what you put in. And if you put that care and that energy into your team, they will return that tenfold. And it will come back in terms of your commitment to them and the company. I stayed at that company on and off for ten years. And I feel so lucky to have found that. But as I wanted to progress up, I would have periods of time where I would work for other companies in between different productions and that's when I saw the other side.
1: What was the other side?
0: Other places I found came with expectations of work being the number one priority and that your personal life and your health and anything else actually is second. If you're working in an environment where there is unrealistic expectations and where... There aren't open conversations around mental health and mental illness, and if it's um, a culture that expects you to always be on, it makes you feel that, A, you can't talk about what you're going through, so it makes you hide even more what you're going through. It means that you are going to struggle to get the help you need, because it means that you aren't talking openly about what you need, You're not getting the help that you need. And it means that you are assuming that if you do say something, that it will be held against you, that it will be seen as a weakness, that you can't cope with the job because you have anxiety. Or we can't give that responsibility to her because she's got depression. If there's a promotion coming up, then it makes you feel like you wouldn't ever offer that to me because... I've been honest with you about what I've gone through. So it puts in this barrier between you and the employer. It makes it really difficult to progress in a healthy way. It means that this toxic environment that the industry has created just continues and continues because there's this wall of silence between individuals and companies.
1: Moving jobs is a stressful experience your anxiety is naturally heightened when lotus moved to her next job working with a difficult character the anxiety began to grow even more
0: the person who owns the company is someone who i found quite difficult to be around she was quite chaotic in her nature would Call you out quite publicly on things that she claimed you'd done wrong. However, a lot of the time it wasn't your mistake, I learned. It was either something that she hadn't done or something she'd previously signed off on that she was now making out like you hadn't done correctly, even though she'd previously signed it off. So there was quite a lot of gaslighting going on. There was A lot of calling people out quite publicly to try and make them look quite bad at their jobs. There was a lot of highlighting that you're actually quite inexperienced, even if you're not inexperienced. She would say things like, oh, this is your first time in this role. Even if you'd done essentially that job, but in a, you know, under a different title for a decade or more, she would make out like you were massively inexperienced and... So there was a lot of attempts to try and humiliate you quite publicly which felt really difficult, I have to say. And at that stage, I'd already half decided that I wanted to leave the industry, at least in the role that I was in. But this was my last, my last kind of real shot at it. So I was dealing quite a lot with quite a lot of things because I was dealing with a family situation. I was going through counselling. I'd just finished a really difficult job where there'd been bullying happening and... Now I was with someone who was also showing signs of bullying, but also being just quite difficult to work with. It was quite a cha- She made everything very chaotic, which for someone who's anxious doesn't sit well. So there were a lot of things going on and I was also letting go of that dream that teenager me had, had created. I was holding on to that dream, that one day I'd get to create my own show and produce my own show, and I was just starting to let go of that. So there was a lot going on for me outside of the workplace, but the workplace made it very difficult.
1: Transitioning from a calm, supportive company to working for a bootleg Miranda Priestly from Devil Wears Prada, Lotus now found herself in chaos, a toxic world with negative environment but never underestimate the power of good people. The members trusted each other enough to surrender the me for the we. Go team human.
0: She behaved like this with everyone. So the good thing is that it created a huge camaraderie with the team. There was very much an us and her feeling, which which really bonded the team. And it meant that you knew that everyone else knew that the problem was her. So there was an element of security in that. And I think because I'd gone through so much in my mid-20s that by the time it got to being in that situation, I knew that I was good at my job. So even if she tried to make me look bad, I knew that no one else thought that I was bad at my job that it was just a bad reflection on her. It just made her look bad. And everyone experienced similar things who worked closely with her. But either way, it still still caused an element of anxiety, even though you feel quite confident in knowing that you're good at your job. Because someone is quite chaotic in their nature, that chaos inevitably spills out onto the whole team. We'd support each other by cracking jokes. Yeah, by having a real sense of banter amongst each other. Um, And also if someone needed help, if the chaos had landed at someone's door, that you would do what you could to support each other. So there was a real sense of everyone having each other's backs. So yeah, we'd, we'd support each other whenever that was happening. Yeah, having that sort of support is essential. And I think actually a lot of people stayed in that company purely for each other.
1: Then came the breaking point.
0: I'd worked two weeks straight without a day off. And then I'd worked 48 hours in three days. And I was in theory the next day scheduled to go on a flight to LA to deal with records that would have meant being put in a situation without support where there would have been quite a lot of potential for humiliation throughout that that week in LA. Luckily for me, I had a wedding that week, so one of my colleagues was covering that week of record. But in theory, that's what should have happened. I was getting information last minute, I was being forced to prep things last minute. you're forced to prep things last minute mistakes happen when mistakes happen they get pulled out very publicly so you're just thrown into this situation where you're exhausted you have no support you're jet lagged and you're having to deal with someone who is constantly trying to make you look and feel bad yeah works two weeks straight and I was exhausted and I just emailed them and said, I'm taking a mental health day, not coming into work today. It's a Monday that I've been working two weeks straight. I've worked 48 hours in the last three days and this isn't how this should be. It shouldn't be this chaotic. It doesn't need to be this chaotic. I've worked on productions for, to know, at that stage, 10 years and it doesn't need to be this way.
1: A practical thinker, our girl Lotus took a pragmatic approach. Out of fear for the implications on her health and an inner self-confidence that had grown over the year, Lotus wrote an email to the boss to lay out the problems and present the solution.
0: These are the problems. These are some of the solutions. Tomorrow when I'm in, it would be great to talk about them. And yeah, that that for me was the point where something really dramatic had to change for me to stay although people tried not enough changed so I got to the end of my contract and I just didn't renew it when I wrote the email it was really cathartic because it was what I was thinking for a really long time I'd worked at that stage for that company for two months I think and in that time I'd barely slept because I was so anxious for, for me my anxiety comes out When I wake up at three in the morning and I can't get back to sleep and that was happening to me every night. I had that Sunday night dread. I knew that this wasn't a good environment for me or for anyone to be in. So when I wrote it, it felt really empowering actually because it was the first time ever in a job where I was saying no, no. This has to change. I find it sad that it was at a point when I'd already half checked out of the industry that I didn't have the courage to do that in previous jobs where things weren't going well. Um, Sometimes that's what it takes. You know, we are freelancers. We are so reliant on our next job and so reliant on our reputations that it creates this real sense of fear. And we have a sense of fear as freelancers that I think MDs and staff members don't have. And I think that's where they get to get away with behaviour that isn't acceptable in a way that freelancers don't get to be able to speak freely. And that's a real problem. There's a real disconnect there.
1: As the story rolled out, I felt nervous for her. That feeling of hitting the send button, then playing out the different scenarios, mainly the bad outcomes, obviously. Lotus explains what happened when she went back into the office.
0: I was really nervous about walking into the office. And when I walked in, one of the production managers saw me in the hallway and he gave me a massive hug and he said... You're my hero, (laughs) which was really lovely.
1: Raise your words, not your voice. After all, it's rain that grows flowers, not thunder.
0: It was a really lovely welcome to have had back in because I didn't know what the response was going to be. We had a meeting, so there was a meeting of me and a few of the production managers. We spoke through where the main challenges were, what needed to happen. But also there was a real honest conversation around the fact that before I'd even arrived, people had tried to make changes try to manage this person at the top of the company and she'd made it impossible for anyone to make meaningful changes if there was a schedule for the day she would just say I'm not doing that because she didn't deem it important even though for the schedule and for other people it was important so You were constantly having to bend to the whim of someone who was in a position of authority. Ultimately, everyone was powerless in making any meaningful change. And although there were attempts to make changes, it didn't end up making enough of a difference. So one of the changes we tried to make was putting in meetings so that my material could get signed off and she would either cancel the meeting because she didn't understand why it was important, or she'd move the meeting so that it was impossible for me to be able to prep the material in time before it was being recorded. So it was just, it felt quite impossible. Everyone felt quite powerless in making meaningful changes, and all we could do
1: was look after each other. People don't leave bad jobs, they leave bad bosses.
0: Something really dramatic had to change for me to stay. Although people tried, not enough changed. So I got to the end of my contract and I just didn't renew it.
1: Individually, we are a drop. Together, we are an ocean. We all need to support each other. However, girl power is a real thing. It's to being unapologetically you and unapologetically female. The sad reality is that this doesn't always happen and the impact is long-lasting.
0: The fact it was a woman behaving this way for me was something I really struggled with because she wasn't the first woman who I'd experienced behaving this way in a position of a creative authority. That in theory was the position that teenage me had dreamed of being in and what I was seeing time and time again were women in positions of power who were not supporting those around them. And it really made me doubt what I wanted and where I was going. And that was part of the reason why I made the transition to a different side of the industry, because, yeah, it was really disappointing that it was a woman behaving this way, more so than if it was a man. Because I think the expectation or the hope is that because women have had to fight to get into those positions... Of authority. I can't imagine how hard it is to, for someone of that generation who, you know, 20 years earlier, it was very much a man's club to have had to have fought their way up to be in a position where you are MD of a company is massive. Hats off to her for getting there, but to be behaving in that kind of way, and maybe she's had to behave that way in order to get to that position, I don't know, I'm just making guesses here but your crew aren't your enemy. And that was how it felt, was that us as crew were her enemy, essentially. And that's not a healthy environment to be in. You know, the hope is that women in positions of power in this industry can support women coming up and give women opportunities and a platform to be able to develop and thrive and help this industry grow and create a flexibility and a work-life balance that mean that when women hit their 30s that they don't feel like they have to leave the industry to be able to have a family or struggle to manage that work-life
1: balance. And that was it. Lotus came out of film and TV but made her grand entrance in a different way. She retrained as a mental health trainer she didn't get stuck in her past, but used it to fuel her future. You don't need a fucking Kate to be a hero. You just need to care. Pay it forward. Would you be able to tell if someone was silently struggling or discern the telltale signs of a mental health crisis? There is a blurred line between shyness, anxiety and depression. So adjust your focus.
0: It is definitely possible to spot the signs and symptoms of mental illness in the workplace. And it can range from person to person. And I think there's a lot of education that is needed around the different signs and symptoms because it's different for different people. For some people it might be that they're more withdrawn, more quiet, more reserved. But for other people, it might be that they become more smiley or more outgoing to try and hide what they're going through. So it might be that someone appears to be coming in late or appears to be unproductive when actually there might be something more going on with them. So it's definitely possible to spot the signs and symptoms of something in terms of a mental health issue going on with someone but it takes education. And actually it takes courage to go up to someone and say, hey, you don't seem yourself at the moment. Do you want to have a chat? And it takes some education around knowing how to have that conversation in a compassionate way that will be meaningful without leaving you in a vulnerable position of having reached out to someone and asked them how they're doing and then not knowing what to do with that. So it's really important that we all have education around this.
1: For our listeners who may recognize these signs in themselves or others, Lotus gave us sound advice on how to start that conversation.
0: So in order to have that conversation with someone, I would suggest finding the right time and place to do it. So it might be uh, going for a walk. It might be going grabbing lunch together or a coffee together. Just being quite open with them and just saying, you just don't seem yourself at the moment. You know, do you want to talk about anything? And sometimes people might go, no, I'm fine. That's probably something I would have done. So I would just accept that and just say, that's okay, I'm here if you do ever want to chat. But if someone does open up to you, just listen to them. Try not to tell them what to do. Simply listen can be one of the most powerful things that you can do for someone else. You don't have to fix their problem. I think a lot of us have a tendency to want to help fix things particularly when we work in production because that's what we do we fix things and that's not always what that person wants it's much more empowering for them to be able to work out what their options are and what is the best solution for them going forwards if you feel like that person does need some medical support being able to just say have you considered going to your GP and just encouraging them to get that professional support and encouraging them to turn to other people in their life. I think it's important to bear in mind that if you are someone's line manager and you're approaching someone who's a freelancer, being really mindful about how that might come across to that freelancer, it might make them feel incredibly insecure. It might make them worry um, about their position in the company, in the production, and what you're thinking of them. So if you are having that conversation, you are someone's line manager, reassurance is going to be really important as part of that conversation, that you're not doing this for any other reason than you care, and that it, you know, reassure them that their position is safe, um, that you don't want them to worry, because that could make someone feel really insecure. And if you don't feel like you're the right person to approach someone, then it might be about having a confidential conversation with someone else who might be in a better position to be able to support that person.
1: So what needs to change in order that we can help each other?
0: There's a culture of silence because of the nature of the industry and how it's structured, and that has to change somehow. I think there's a real hopelessness that comes with feeling like we're trapped in this industry and this is the only option. There are a lot of changes that are already happening, which gives me a lot of hope. A, the conversations are changing. People are willing to have more meaningful conversations around mental health now than ever before. Production companies are now starting to consider well-being during their pre-production in a way that no one has considered it before. So considering how your crew are going to cope if they are living away from home in a bubble um, while social distancing, that is going to have psychological impacts on your crew. And for the first time ever, production companies are considering that impact. And I think that's because we're having to consider health in a new way. We've got the film and TV charity ho- who are in doing incredible work in pushing for change. So we've got a helpline, which was set up, I think, around 18 months ago, which is open 24-7 for someone to talk to. They've got legal advice, financial advice. They've got a peer support wall. And they're they're putting together and they've put together a task force to help shape the changes going forward in the industry. And they've created a five to 10-year plan of how this industry can improve. So change is happening. It's happening Slowly, but it is happening. I think there needs to be more accountability with production companies. There needs to be more transparency with, A, what production companies are like to work for. So freelancers have the choice to say no if the production company that is offering them a job has a bad culture of bullying and harassment and bad leadership. You are what
1: you do not what you say you'll do. It's time to step it up.
0: So what I'd love to see is there to be a rating system for production companies from freelancers So every time a freelancer leaves a job, they fill out a form, say what the job was like um, and that that production company gets a rating system based on what freelancers had experienced so that we all publicly know what companies are good to work for and which ones we can avoid. And then the more we can create a competition between companies to be the best at well-being for their freelance staff. What an amazing competition to be able to have. But it also needs to be supported by broadcasters because this doesn't come cheaply or easily. Production companies need that support from broadcasters that if they are putting in their budgets, that they need psychological support during their production, that that is respected and kept in because budgets are being squeezed now more than ever. What we don't want is for the cost to be a human cost.
1: COVID-19 has fallen the world to take a universal pause, but there have been some silver linings. Whilst everyone is working from home, people are now on more of an equal footing. I asked Lotus what positive changes she had seen post-lockdown.
0: It's been like a wrecking ball to the wall that was up and It's a really amazing starting point for us all to have those conversations because it's been... COVID has made this a level playing field because everyone has experienced anxiety at some point over the last few months. People have experienced mental health issues who have never experienced a mental health issue before. So the mental health crisis we were in before COVID is now, I'd say, an actual emergency because we've had, you know, our entire industry being out of work for a long period of time, which in itself is a real risk factor for mental illness. And we've had a real lack of leadership, lack of financial support, two-thirds, no, I think it's um, 75% of freelancers don't have any financial support, so that lack of political leadership has led to people being really poor and uncertain in terms of where their finances are coming from, and without work, without a prospect of when work will start up, or how that will even happen. So it's been a really challenging time for this industry in terms of mental health and from the people that I've been speaking to, really made a lot of people question whether it's worth it. Is this industry worth putting ourselves through this uncertainty, through the trauma of having to experience bullying in the workplace? From harassment from racism is this industry even worth it and for a lot of people it just isn't and we're losing talent in its droves because of so many factors and it's got to start changing because otherwise we become this revolving door of talent coming in experiencing it for a few years and talent going out again and that's across the board so if we don't start making changes the future isn't looking great for the industry
1: I have personally been inspired by Lotus and her resilience. I asked her one final piece of advice.
0: I would find my courage and I would find my community. I would find people that i could talk to openly in the industry about what was going on and it can just be one person who you can just bounce off and just say look this is what someone's behaving like is that normal because sometimes you can really second guess yourself about what is acceptable behavior and what isn't particularly when other people around you are accepting it as normal it can make you feel like you're losing your mind slightly of Is this really okay? So having someone that you can talk to really openly, um, who understands the industry is really important. But I also think it's really important to have people outside of the industry to help give you that sense of perspective and to give you that balance. Creating your communities of support are vital. Knowing when to ask for help, which isn't always easy, Um, speaking from experience asking for help was really not a comfortable thing for me but it's essential to know that if you're going through something there is help out there and the sooner you get help the sooner you'll feel better the longer you leave it to get help the harder it is to dig yourself out of that hole that you're in we all have the power to start making change by just having that one conversation and that one conversation can mean everything
1: While normal anxiety serves a beneficial and adaptive purpose, anxiety can also become the cause of tremendous suffering for millions of people. Lotus used to be a wallflower, but when staying silent wasn't an option anymore, she had to face the biggest obstacle and make the necessary move to change the narrative to her life. When we look back to where Lotus was as a child, as the person that wouldn't put their hand up in school, to the person she is now, who's purposely vocal about the changes that are needed in this industry. Not only has she found her voice, she has found a reason to use her voice. People with mental illness build a wall not to block anyone out, but let's show them how much we care by climbing over it. Anyone need a leg up? Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Naked Stories, this show was edited by Michael Kalizinski. Sound designed by Anton Borove. Produced by Anna Zergic, Jessica Lapsiwala, and Tom Biskowski. Narratives written by Jessica Lapsiwala and myself, Rose Okipo. See you in the next episode for more non filtered stories. For now, ciao Bella.